Welcome back to Deep in History and our uh, continued study of St. Irenaeus's uh, book Against Heresies. Monsignor Steenson, welcome back. Good to be back, Marcus. Thank you. I know in the meantime, since our last gathering, you've been all the way to Seattle and back to Minnesota, right? Yeah, it's about, I would think, maybe the same distance between Ephesus and Lyon. <laughs> 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 Uh, boy, that has lots of layers of interest, you know, not just in distance, but in theology. So, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, but it's great to have you back. Yeah. We're, we're going to start today book four, and book four is a large book. In fact, you even mentioned Monsignor that even the most modern translation of Irenaeus hasn't even gotten there yet, right? Yeah, as far as I know, what I last I checked, uh, I could only get books one through three in the modern English translation. So I don't think four is completed yet. All right. Um, it is available, of course, in the Keeble translation that we're focusing on. It's available online uh, in the Anti-Nicene Fathers series. Um, and so it's available, of course. Uh, but we've moved on. And Monsignor, maybe as a thought, maybe in today's program, we're just going to just kind of start start wetting our lips on, on book four. Uh, it's been a while since I've read the entire book four. I'm trying to get through it right now again, uh, you know, to get a backdrop. But did you have a, a sense of an overarching theme in book four compared to where we have covered in books one through three? Um, you know, the th one theme that keeps um, jumping out at me is... Um, Irenaeus, of course, he's dealing with um, Marcion and that group of Gnostics that tried to separate the Old Testament from the New Testament, the Old Testament God from Jesus Christ. And so what um, in these early chapters, he's really emphasizing that the God that we meet in uh, many of these Old Testament encounters is actually the Son of God, the Word, Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, putting it into the way theologians talk, this is a very powerful expression of his conviction in the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, and um, that's the one thing that kind of really jumped out at me in these early chapters. All right, and we're going to give our title for yeah. this episode, Jesus Christ Yesterday, Today, and Forever, because we'll... We'll start getting to that. Um, <clears throat> to me, reading this book, as I continue to look at it, it fascinates me because it truly gives us a glimpse of where the state of the theology had grown in the church under the battle of the Gnostics, but before... We, we find ourselves in Ephesus before Augustine's been born, before all these people that we just take for granted now so many centuries later, that, yeah. that uh, some of the battles that will be fought in the 
in the third and fourth and fifth centuries haven't even arisen yet. Uh, you know, this whole idea, if there's one God, then what about Jesus? You know, that this whole, that, that hasn't seemed to be the issue, though the Gnostics are dealing with all kinds of things. But uh, the, the question arises here, the, the human Jesus, is it the same as the divine Jesus? Well, that becomes an issue that the Gnostics are, and so we're going to deal with that. Yeah. As one of the issues. And, and you pointed out something which I totally missed, which we'll hopefully get to, and that is that the very famous historical theological term homoousius shows up in these passages, right? Yeah, we have an example of it in, in, um, in book four. Okay. And, um, and I think when we get to that, it's just a, I, it's just a way of illustrating why the fathers at the Council of Nicaea had so much trouble with that word consubstantial or homoousios. Um, um, and we can see it. It's, one of the reasons why is it, was a, it wasn't a precise word. It was kind of a vague word. Well, it was also, to me, it seems, we take this for granted today because we use words like transubstantiation or consubstantiation, and, and they are just terms. But the issue that was going to arise maybe at the time of Irenaeus, but later, is as we're defining theological truths, can we use non-biblical words? That and became that an a, issue. That was a big issue, right? Because at this time, Irenaeus yeah. is trying to l limit everything within yeah. biblical terminology. If he uses homoousius, he isn't using it yet to define anything. Yeah. That, and it's, and Marcus, isn't it? It's so interesting that when we, at the Council of Nicaea, the Arians were the, Scola script, or were the Sola Scriptura party. <laughs> yeah. They didn't, yeah. They didn't want to use anything, any term that was not in Scripture. In my mind, there are ways to compare the Judaizers that we encounter in the book of Acts with the Arians, in, in the sense that the Judaizers were saying, this is what God said we would do forever, this is scripture, how dare you say we don't have to circumcise new believers yeah. anymore. This is what the Bible says, God said we'd do it forever, the Sabbath, excuse me, how are you changing these things? These were the Judaizers, and to a certain extent, there's sympathy for them. But we see that the Holy Spirit given to the apostles had the authority to say, we're not circumcising anymore. <laughs> well, the Arians are the same issue. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. And so it, it isn't merely the Bible alone, or you end up with all the, the confusion, even the Gnostics and how they interpreted Scripture. So... We're going to just jump into book four, Monsignor, because I know we want to just, uh, today's program, because of time, we want to limit it. But a few things jumped out at me, and again, uh, audience, there's no way we can cover everything in this book. We strongly encourage you to take your time, read it yourselves, come up with issues. But something jumped out at me, and actually something in the very first paragraph of the book jumped out at me. Mm -hmm. and, and that is, he uses a phrase, harbor of truth. Uh, he says, and, 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 and beating them back altogether, mightest not suffer them to plunge themselves further into the deep of air, now to be choked in the sea of ignorance, but rather turning them 
towards the harbor of truth, Midas so caused them to receive their own salvation. So, you know, once again, we encountered the reason Irenaeus is writing this whole thing is part of it is he hopes to bring these heretics back to the fullness. But in this sentence, the harbor of truth is the church. It is. It's a great, it's a great metaphor, isn't it? Um, the, the early fathers would often talk about how um, the church is the boat that um, sails to safe waters in the harbor. Um, and of course, the, we have several references in these early chapters about how the Gnostics are, are um, basically just flopping around in this, um, in this ocean of, of mysticism and they're completely helpless. They can't ever get anywhere. Yeah, we're um, going, in fact, we're going to encounter a quote on that uh, yeah. later that's, that really puts it very succinctly. Um, on page 309, in fact, at the bottom of 309 um, to 310, uh, I'm going to take the easy part, and then yeah. I'll, I'll read it, and then let you do all the explaining, Monsignor. Is, uh, you know, he, he affirms the fact that uh, man was created by the Trinity. And we also encounter in there uh, the work of the devil uh, with the phrase, in these last times. So on, on the bottom of 309, and whereas at that time the, apost the, ap excuse me, the apostate angel caused by the serpent the disobedience of man and thought himself hidden from the Lord, on which account God attributes to him the form and the title aforesaid. Now, because they are the, these are the last times, the evil extends itself to men also, not only causing them to become apostates, but training them up to be blasphemers of their maker by many contrivances, I mean by all the aforementioned heretics. <clears throat> So he's talking about the, the, the way that, that the enemy, the devil, in the beginning took the form of a mm -hmm. certain, but now he's working directly in men, fighting against the gospel. Yeah, the, he's, brought, he's, he's got all of these helpers now, these, these apostates. There. And, you know, I mean, he, I was moved by the beginning of this preface because there's, you can see pastoral heart of Irenaeus, he wants to rescue these people. Um, but he realizes he's, he's going to have to be tough and doing strong medicine here. And, and um, you know, the beginning of uh, section two of the preface. Um, oh, before you get that, I just want, yeah. just want to emphasize again, underline, he, in the middle of that uh -huh. paragraph, he says, now because they are the last times. You know, that, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Again, this assumption that even we have today in the Old Testament, it was we weren't in the last times. The last times are way in the future, way in the future. But the, the emphasis of the New Testament writers and then on into the early church is that this is the last times. We're in that period. It's going to end. It. Yeah, that's, yeah, he definitely believed that. He, he had a strong eschatological sense about him. Yeah, we'll find out. I yeah. can't remember if we got yeah. to it, that his particular view of the millennium, millennium 
was not the uh, the view accepted later by the church. Uh, it was, but uh, yet he believed very strongly that we're in that time, and yeah. uh, that to me colors even why he says that the devil himself has stepped up his efforts to try and stop the church from from reaching out to the lost. Now go on, Monsignor, to the next paragraph. Yeah, I just was, I mean, he, you know, his concern to save them, but he, as he's writing to um, whoever his audience here is, probably other bishops, um, he talks about how important it is that we know what it is that they're actually teaching in, in section two of that preface on page uh, 308. And so we were, toward the bottom of the page. Um, 309, yes. For which cause they who have been before us, yea, and much better, better men than we, were nevertheless unable to dispute against the Valentinians as not knowing their system. Mm. I thought, I was thinking about, who is yeah. he referring to here? You know, Polycarp, maybe his, his mentor, um, Justin Martyr, who was writing in Rome a little bit earlier, um, these would have been the main, you know, theological writers that were active at this in in the generation before Saint Irenaeus. Um, so he understands that we're going through this this enormous book because he wants us to understand the intricacies of their system. Um, and Marcus, one other thing I wanted to say before we move on from that um, in section three. Of uh, on at the top of page three hundred nine, I just you know he talks about how blasphemous the Gnostics are, and he gives us an example of how blasphemous they are. Um, um, look at in the middle of uh, that paragraph, section three, and as they affirm the Creator to have been the produce of decay or defection. So Christ also and the Holy Ghost, by their teaching, were produced because of decay. And the Savior is a kind of growth from those eons, um, which were the produce of decay. And he calls that a blasphemy because, you know what he, what he's actually saying there is that the Gnostics teach that the Father is excrement. That's that's what that word means there. Mm -hmm. He's teaching that the father is excrement from an earlier eon, something that, you know, that you that passes through and is thrown away. And a um, word that would have been used during the time of Keeble's translation, which was becoming very popular, was that the father was a mutation. Yeah. In other words, it just it was a natural mutation from what came before, and so are Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're just mutations, but, if you will. I mean, it's not as strong of a word yeah. as excrement, but uh, but I mean, but he really does he really does use that word because it, to the Gnostics, the father of the Old Testament is um, is waste. It's waste from an earlier eon. And so uh, he says here that the, the Christ that they want to go after um, is a kind of growth from those things. He's sort of 
basically he's the new life that comes up from the manured field. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, that's how scandalous Irenaeus read the Gnostics. It seems to me that not only the Gnostics, but so many have missed the point of the Old Testament expression of God, seeing him as a negative. Mm-hmm. Why do you? Why do people see God as a negative in the Old Testament? Why do they see him as a judgmental God? Why do they see that? They say, well, look at here. Well, look at all they did. And it's because, I think it's because we don't recognize that there, even though we see individual covenants, as Irenaeus talked about in the last book, happening on Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses, David and our Lord, we see these, but that the truth is that when you take a step back, there is only one covenant that extends from Adam yeah. to Revelation. And it, in the Didache, it's called the two ways. At the time of Irenaeus, it's in Barnabas, it's in Didache, it's this idea of the two ways. And God makes a promise, not just with Israel, but with every human being that's ever existed in their conscience, that I am God, I'm your creator, and you are to worship me alone and to obey me. That's from Adam all the way through. It's the underlying of all the covenants. And the only reason God is bad is because we sinned. That's the only reason God is ever bad in the Old Testament is because his people sinned. And so he was obligated because of the covenant of the two ways to punish. He wasn't, he was never a different God. It's called his steadfast love, his chazad, all the way through. And so if you're not willing to say God is punishing us for our sins, yeah, he's a bad guy. But unless, what did Pope Hadrian say after the Reformation? Oh, (laughs) I'll have to yield to you on that one. (laughs) He said, it was our fault. It was because of the sins of the church and the prelates Mm -hmm. that all this has come on us. As soon as we can say it's our fault, God's not the bad guy. We failed. And the Gnostics aren't willing to say that. Mm. And so they write off God as a bad guy. we got to come up with a new God. No, it's us. It's us. And Irenaeus, of course, is going to affirm our need for repentance and and, and all the way through. All right, Monsignor. Um, sorry for my pontificating a little bit. but No, it's it, good, very good. Um, the... At the bottom of page 309, we move into another section similar, which says, For all these, issuing from different places and teaching different doctrines, concur, however, in the same blasphemous intent, indicting a deadly wound in that they teach blasphemy against God our Maker and Nourisher, and do away with man's salvation. By man, I mean him who is a mixture of soul and flesh formed after the likeness of God and molded by his hands to wit by the Son and the Holy Spirit, unto whom also he said, let us make man. Now, the reason I jump that out is because there we we see 
Irenaeus emphasizing that man was created by the Trinity. Yes. And man is um, man is body and soul. Yep. An integrated, an integral mix of body and soul, if you will. And of course, the Gnostics wanted to get, they didn't, the body was immaterial to them. Um, so it didn't count in the story of salvation. And so I think Irenaeus is saying here is, um, how can we be saved if we're, if, if we're neglecting what God actually created? That's what needs to be rescued. Yeah. Both body and soul. And unless you're willing to hear the revelation from God on, on this thing, you're, you set yourself adrift. You set yourself adrift. He goes on the next sentence. This then is the purpose of him who grudges us life, to make men unbelievers in their own salvation and blasphemers of God who formed them. So behind all this is the devil, trying to take away our salvation and leading us to blaspheme the very God who made us. All right. Well, there's so much here. Let's jump ahead. Now we're going to get to a section that Monsignor and I think it's important for us to make clarification because it, it seems that Irenaeus is something very strange. And this yeah. is in the middle of page 310. And it's the last sentence of the opening introduction and then the first half of the first paragraph of chapter 1, verse 1. I mean, section 1. And it says, um, For the sake whereof the Son of God wrought all his providential purpose, as we have shown in many ways, and have made it evident that none other is called God by the Scriptures, but only the Father of all, Comma, and the Son, comma, and those who have the adoption. So much then being firm and fixed that no other is set forth by the Spirit as God and Lord, save him who being God rules over all with his word, and those who receive the Spirit of adop adoption. In other words, who believe in the only and true God and in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the apostles in like manner of themselves gave not to any other the name of God or the surname of the Lord, or much less our Lord. Now, Monsignor, what is the conundrum here? Well, um, I think we notice that if we just read it in the ordinary way we read it, it would seem to speak about our, our, our actually sharing the title, Father, God, um, obviously, God. that can't be, you know. Yeah, in other words, it sounds like he's saying that none other is called God in the Scriptures except the Father, the Son, and those who have the adoption. Right. And it's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And then we say, well, there's got to be another way of saying it. But then we go to the next one, and he says, no other is set forth by the Spirit as God and Lord, save him who being God rules over all with his word and those who receive the spirit of adoption and the apostles in like manner of themselves. And it's like, wait a second. Again, it sounds like this title has leaked over onto us. 
which would be totally contradictory to anything else Irenaeus or the early fathers would have said. And uh, Marcus, you, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think we were both sense that maybe this is just a, um, a, an awkward translation um, in sort of mid-19th century Victorian English. What, what, we, what Irenaeus seems to be saying here is that God the Father calls himself Father, the Son called him Father, those who are adopted confess that he is father. The apostles confess that he is father. So there's a, and the scriptures a call unified him witness. Yeah. 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 Unified witness that he is God the Father, the only. It, which makes wow. sense in the context of everything we've studied so far all the way through book three. And that is with all the different opinions and God the Father being decay and all the other opinions know that there's only one. God called God and, and, and the Father, the Son, the Scriptures, those yeah. who adopted the apostles all affirm this one thing. That's the only thing that makes sense of that. So, I mean, we wanted yeah. to point that out, that this does sound confusing, but there's no, there's no place else in the early church fathers where anyone would have, which, which makes it a puzzlement. Why did Keeble leave it this way, except that that's the way they kind of spoke? In. I, I assume so. I mean, that's the best I can come up with. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I mean, this is where St. Irenaeus is such a blessing for us today because if um, he would be with us now, if he would be, if St. Irenaeus would be blogging in this modern context, <laughs> the thing he, I think the thing that he'd want to be emphasizing is that we never, ever, ever set one part of the tradition over against another. Um, we don't interpret scriptures against themselves. There is a, there's a, in God's order of economy, there's a perfect unity, a unity of truth. Yeah. I went to see Fred with Tim. I went to see Fred with Tim. Now, did Tim go with me? Oh, I get it. <laughs> or was Tim with Fred? <laughs> right? I went, I went right, to yeah. see Fred with Tim. Was Tim with me or was Tim with Fred? And that's English. And that's probably what we're encountering here. Yeah. Because even in the Greek, it might be floating around and be a little confusing. Yeah. So that's probably what we're encountering here. That was, you know, Marcus, I thought I was listening to Thomas Aquinas for a moment there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you know what he said of it? It's a bunch of straw. <laughs> okay. Um, in, on page 311, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but that, that, um, Chapter 2, section 1 and 2, <clears throat> he's, he's over and he's emphasizing the importance of the phrase um, the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord who made heaven and earth. It's, in other words, that 
the importance of, of the foundation of all our theology is recognizing God as creator. We begin there. That's right. And if you don't, everything else falls apart, which is the mess we're in today. I mean, look at the world. Look at the confusion. It's a mess we're in today. If you don't begin with recognizing God as the Lord who made heaven and earth, everything else falls apart. That's right. Yeah, because the human mind then is set free to invent whatever it wants about reality. Yeah, and so he's in that little yeah. section, he goes through it a bunch of times, and uh, if we had more time, we could look at it there. But I do want to jump down to uh, another thing really quickly, um, and that is at the bottom of page 312, um, where he's talking about the story of the poor man and, and Lazarus, mm -hmm. Abraham and Lazarus. He says, now him, he did not tell us a mere story of a poor man and a rich, but first he taught that no man ought to make pleasure his employment. That men should not so live in worldly luxuries and abundant feasting as to serve their own pleasures and forget God. So Irenaeus was completely against professional sports here. <laughs> Actually, he probably was. <laughs> Because, the options. Know, just think of what the professional sports would have been in those days, gladiators fighting against Christians, you know. Right. <laughs> but really the point is that men should so live in world, that men should not so live in worldly luxury and abundant feasting as to serve their own pleasures and forget God. <clears throat> that is a quote from Irenaeus that, as the church expands into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth centuries, there's a few prelates that should have heard this. Yes. This becomes a major problem in the history of the church, even down to our own day. Yes, it does. That's very well put. It, and, and he, Irenaeus, in the very beginning, is saying, guys, don't go there. Don't go there. Okay. Um, now, Monsignor, I'm throwing it into your camp because we're at the place where you wanted to talk to us. Right. Yeah, I was. We're now. We're we're in section four of chapter two, and on, on I'm looking um, about uh, one, two, three, five, about seven lines or so down on page three thirteen. Um, I'll just read that sentence and then go. Um, and he points out how all are of one substance. I mean Abraham and Moses and the prophets, yea, even the Lord himself who rose again from the dead, in whom many also believe who are of the circumcision, hearing as they do both Moses and the prophets, how they preach the coming of the Son of God. Now, that word, um, that they are all, that expression, they're all of one substance. Marcus, I got arrested by that word, um, and I spent a little bit of time yesterday going over to the seminary library here in St. Paul to get the, um, the, the original text of Irenaeus to look this up a bit. Um, because I wanted to see what did Keeble, what word did Keeble translate one substance here? Um, so the, just uh, the, the 
Irenaeus's point here is that um, that the patriarchs, the prophets, uh, and Christ himself are all, when he uses the word one substance, that they're, they share the same nature, if you will. That's what, that's the, that's what he wants to say here, because remember the, the Marcionites want to say that the Old Testament people are totally different. They might even say that they're not even real people. I mean, mm -hmm. that there's something that is, that is fundamentally different about them than um, the Gnostics themselves. And but that word. So, so what you're uh, saying is he's not saying that Moses and the prophets and the, the patriarchs and the prophets and Jesus are all the one mind. There, it's not no, just no. that they're all got the same message, but they're as human beings. One, yeah, that's right. That, yeah, that's what I was okay. saying. So I, okay. so I, I was curious about it. So I, I looked it up and um, the Latin text here is una substantia, one substance. Um, those of you that do a little bit of Greek uh, might recognize, there, this is, there's a Greek fragment that, it, that survived, ek mias usias, of from mias, one, from one substance, one usia. Um, and then, you know, as we go, if I can just jump ahead, because well, well, this well, is all connected. Okay, but, 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 keep reading in that same paragraph. Yeah, okay. Where he says, but those who scorn him teach that they are of another substance. That's right, uh-huh. Now, what was that word? Did you have a chance to look that one up? Well, I, I don't, I didn't write it down, but it would be the same word, I'm sure, Usia. Uh, but another substance, so it's got to have some kind of, uh, was it anti-humos, you know, a different? Uh... Yeah, basically that they're, you know, the idea is we have nothing to do with Abraham and Moses and their faith. Um, so not and, their mind, and, but as you, as physical human yeah, beings, we're physical, almost a different. Physical human beings. A, and different Jesus species. Christ, Jesus Christ had no, his, he, there is no DNA in Jesus Christ, they would have argued, that would have come from Abraham, and Moses, and David. Okay. I mean, that's how strong they felt about it. Okay. And so I, you know, and it, just if you just skip down, this will yes. be quick about this, and I'll explain what I'm, where I'm going with this. Yes. Um, on, if you go down to... Um, section uh we're chapter we're in chapter nine then on page uh 330 okay section two of book book nine now is what you're saying yeah, that's right okay section two of book nine okay um okay um let's see where are we here okay and and so it's that last part of on page 330 um, for more, saith he, than the temple is here. Now more and less are terms used not of those things which have nothing in common with each other and which are of a contrary nature and in mutual discord, but such as are of the same mode of subsistence and partake of one another, 
but differ only in number and in greatness. Um, as oh, you know, interesting. Argument, as water from argument. water, from light from yeah. light, and grace from grace. <clears throat> so. I wanted to go and see that. I had to go and have a look at what those words were that stood behind those translations. Um, and so the Latin there is, we do have the same substance, the same mode of subsistence is what Keeble translates uh, as eustem substantiae. So he, the, the Latin text uses the word substance and there's a Greek translation there um, we meet up with um, one one Usia again, hmm. and then um, see just a little bit further down four nine two. Um, yeah, that's right. There it is. Um, they actually, as we go on, then the Greek here uses the word. Homo usias. Um, the same mode of subsistence is translated homo usias. Now, this is, I thought this would be a wonderful moment just to give people um, an insight into why it was so hard at the Council of Nicaea to get people to accept the word consubstantial or homo usias. And here's a perfect example of, um, you know, one of the great texts of theology from 150 years before the Council of Nicaea. And they were using the word homoousios. Arnaeus was using the word homoousios to speak of that nature which Christ shares in common with all of humanity, with the prophets, with the um, patriarchs, and so on. Um, so basically, well, Keeble, I, I think Keeble shouldn't have used the word subsistence in translating that, because in later Trinitarian theology, a subsistence is one of the persons of uh, the persons of the Trinity are subsistences. Um, but what what you know what Athanasius and the fathers at Nicaea had to really basically break through was. This idea that homoousios doesn't say what we want to say about the unity of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. This is more of a generic use of the word. Um, you know, so, we're of one nature with each other. Um, and we want to say much more when we talk about the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit than that they're of one nature. Just basically, you know, like the idea of three guys, um, three really big, important guys sitting around the table. Um. <laughs> you know, every Sunday I, I recite the Nicene Creed, and now I'm trying to remember it. Um, uh, one in being with the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. There's the word. There's the word, yeah. There's mm -hmm. the word. But it's interesting, right before it, a couple phrases, we have God from God, light from light. Look in the text. It's there. Right after that point you just said, yeah. 
The oh, same yes, mode of is. substance, part of one, and differ only in number and in greatness as water from water and light from light and grace from grace. There's the phrase. There's the phrase. That's right. You wonder, don't you? There's the it, phrase you know. that ended up in the Nicene yeah. Creed, 150 years before Nicaea, is in the same context of homoousius. Yeah. So this is probably one of those phrases that the fathers were bantering around as they're arguing over the use of homoousius or homoiousius was the alternate text, and they yeah. battled over, split over. To this day, Christians are split over the use of that word. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Of course, they didn't listen to Irenaeus anyway, because Irenaeus says, don't get bent out of shape over use of words, guys. But they didn't listen to that. They... Of course, this is, you know, this is almost almost 150 years before Arius came on the scene. But so that was not the problem that Irenaeus was dealing with here. But it's interesting when you see the use of that word there to apply homoousios to a relationship between uh, Christ and, and the humanity that he came to, um, you know, to assume, um, has a, I mean, that will not quite cut it in terms of um, the, the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those, most of the conservative fathers at Nicaea uh, had a hard time with this because um, they, they thought we needed to speak about a more intimate kind of unity hmm. between oh. the three persons of the Trinity. So it just was fascinated to me for that. Sorry to no, that's awesome. Get lost on that. So that's yeah. awesome. And um, well, what we're going to do? We're going to pause at that place, uh, and we'll pick up next week on page two fourteen, and. Uh, we're going to talk about how Christ faulted not the law or the house of Israel, but those who transgressed the law in the house there in <clears throat> section six. We'll pick up right there when we pull. Monsignor, how about closing us with a prayer today? Okay. If you would. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life and witness of your servant, St. Irenaeus of Lyon. And we pray that through his intercession, we will depart not an iota from the truth that you have revealed. We love you, Lord. We serve you. We wish to follow you all the days of our life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monsignor. Thank you. And thanks all, all of you for joining us on this program. I do want to remind you about chnetwork.org. If you go to our website, you'll find all kinds of great resources, podcasts, conversion stories, as well as community if you happen to be at some place along the journey, if you want to com communicate with others on the journey, that's a great place to get connected. God bless you. Look forward again to being with you next week. Bye-bye.